welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and this is awesome because I tried to start this episode about five times prior to this, but for some reason I couldn't get the words out. I think maybe I'm just so flustered of the fact that I'm talking to another podcaster who's probably better than me, and and I'm like, oh, God, what do I say? What do I say so I don't suck? <laughs> well, um, everybody, uh, Everybody's good. <laughs> see, everybody says that, but then you say to yourself, like, man, you know what? I'm just kidding. I, don't worry, we don't do that. <laughs> well, today's guest is a fellow podcaster. You can hear him uh, co-host the show Comical Podcast. Please welcome Justin Corbett. Justin, how you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, like I said, I apologize for all the false starts because normally those don't happen. Oh, they happen for everybody. Don't don't pretend they don't. <laughs> well, see, the, again, I lifted up the curtain. It's like, see, we do this professionally. It's all done one take, no stops, no breaks, no hiccups whatsoever. You know, maybe the pros that have done three or four hundred episodes don't have those kind of issues anymore. And even even I'm sure with those guys, it occasionally rarely happens. But you know, anybody who's doing this at a amateur or intermediate kind of level, uh, I'm sure that they constantly have issues. <laughs> Well, I have. Well, hell, hell, it's a part of my show title, so you know what? <laughs> I was expecting, you know, it's just just what I was waiting for, <laughs> right? Well, I was hoping none of those issues would be technical, but tonight seems a fun night for um, wacky stuff going on. Well, my laptop went on the fritz, and a couple of minutes prior to starting the show, we were going over like I guess some pratfalls of bad equipment and. Well, recently you uh, went all out. Um, I saw the picture you posted where you've got like this cool mixing board now and amplifiers, and there's wires running everywhere. Like shit, this looks like a looks like a pretty badass operation now. It is. It's it's really nice to have all of the equipment. Um, I've had the mixer for a while. We actually got it uh, about six months ago when our uh, USB mixer, like we had a little small one, failed. And this is a an old style mixer. Like it doesn't have any USB inputs or anything. But it does support 12 microphones, which is pretty badass. <laughs> uh, so it took a little bit of work and a long time for me to figure out how to do everything and set everything correctly so I could do a mix minus setup, which is what you do for Skype so that you can hear the person, but they can't hear themselves, so there's no feedback. And it, it's a little expensive, a little bit of work, but uh, I think it's totally worth it, especially since we're getting into our second year of doing the show and we want to have a lot more interviews. That's right. And you guys have just recently celebrated your, what, one-year anniversary is a two-year? It's one year. We started uh, January of last year. Really? I thought you guys had been around longer for that, longer than that. And that's, well, first off, congratulations, because I don't know if, I guess for, since we're, we know so many other fellow podcasters who have been doing this so long, I guess you kind of take for granted that a lot of shows have been around for a long time, but there have actually been quite a few that haven't been. And I guess for whatever reason, you know, life happens, things happen, and a lot of shows, you know, sort of come and go, so... For a lot of the guys that um, and women that I follow on Twitter who have been doing it for a year more than that, it's pretty remarkable. So, again, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that, that we do is I mean, we're very, very determined to always put on an episode every single week. Like, we never let a week go by that one doesn't come out. You know, Whether we're sick, whether we have car problems, whatever, we find a way to make it happen. It might be a day or two late, but we always have one out there. And I think that that's been kind of the key to our success and, and why you think we have been around longer than we actually have <laughs> yeah because I don't, I don't think you guys have missed a week and i guess that's the thing that's tough though is keeping that commitment because when you're you know like again life you know goes on people have families other commitments and it, it doesn't sound too difficult to sit down for like maybe an hour or two a week to talk 
But, you know, not at 10 times there's something else going on. So, yeah, it's it's actually not as easy as a lot of people make it out to be, even on the amateur circuit. Because, again, we don't really do this. We don't get paid for this. We're not really doing this for any, like, you know, huge paycheck. But it's just that genuine passion. And I think that's why I love chatting with fellow podcasters, be it on Twitter or even on the podcast, so that people see, hey, guess what? You know, this is a lot of fun. But, again, it's still it's still pretty tough work. It's it's a lot of work and people don't realize that because you can have a conversation with a good friend for an hour with nobody else listening in and it doesn't really matter what you say because you have that rapport with that person. But when a whole audience is listening to you, you have to be careful about what you say and you have to give correct and adequate, accurate information. And on top of that, you have to make it entertaining. So you're constantly having to up your game while you're talking. And, and it's, a, it's a bit of practice and a bit of work to get to that point. Um, but it's also a lot of prep work, especially for comic book shows, because we have to read everything. We have to plan out what we're going to talk about. You know, if you have a guest on, you have to make sure you're familiar with everything they've done so you can, you know, not sound like an idiot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, what are you trying to say? <laughs> not, I wasn't, I wasn't referring to you, but you know, you, you do want to be familiar with the person that's coming on and, and it is a lot of prep work. And then even after that, once the show's recorded, some shows do a lot of editing. Some shows don't. I do. I'm very particular about how, what our show sounds like and, you know, the content we put out. So I put a lot of time into editing our show more than I probably should. Uh, but I want to put out the best product I possibly can every single week. So I always spend somewhere between two and six hours editing. That's pretty awesome. And I had the luxury early on, um, back when we were aging and Atlas have issues. My co-host Atlas was the, I guess the technical guy, you know, he was the guy behind the boots, so to speak. So he was doing a lot of the editing and things like that. But since having, you know, rebooted the show and gone solo, so I'm saying to myself, you know what, editing can't be that tough. I mean, shoot, I got this. Until you sit there and stare at the same line of audio in Audacity going, oh, I'm so tired of looking at these blue fucking squiggles. I just... <laughs> it could definitely kind of become white noise. Like, you're trying really hard to pay attention to it and, and find errors. And you've already had that conversation. Or you've already listened to that conversation three or four times. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to drift off to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this is actually a really weird question, and I assure you we'll get into something like legitimate and hard-hitting. But do you actually go back and listen to old episodes? Because I know that's something that people find, find weird with musicians when like they listen to their own music, as if you're not supposed to. But do you actually go back and listen to old shows you've done and maybe go back and say, hey, you know what, that was pretty awesome? There are certain shows that I feel were spectacular like way above and beyond what our average show is and I, I will go back and listen to those from time to time because i had so much fun recording them and there's also interviews and stuff that i'll go back and listen to because <clears throat> i know that i was given you know interesting information like i'll be talking to a, a writer or an artist and they'll tell me some of their favorite books and i'll make a mental note that oh i need to go back and check that out and then i never do and then later on i'll be like oh i should go back and listen to that episode because i know they gave me some good recommendations especially when i run out of stuff to read so I'll go back and listen to those episodes for that content. But can you ever say that you actually run out of things to read? Because I don't know, ever since I feel like ever since we started the podcasting, there's so many books out there that I didn't even know existed. And now I find myself wondering, there aren't enough hours in a day to even read some of this stuff as much as I would like to. I can't say that I ever run out of stuff to read. I mean, on our show, we read somewhere between 25 and 35 books every Wednesday. Really? We pick up our books at 10 a.m. Uh, luck luckily, our job is fairly laid back. Uh, Miguel and I work at the same company, and we both do like tech support for software-side server stuff. Oh, cool. Our boss 
you know, he's pretty okay with the comic thing. He's a comic book fan. He's a sci-fi nerd, so he doesn't really care that much. We read books as long as we're doing our job at the same time. So we'll pick up our books at 10 a.m., sit there and read all day, come home, talk about stuff for a little bit, record, and then I'll spend all day Thursday editing and put the show out on Friday. Uh, I don't really necessarily run out of stuff to read. I've probably got 15 trade paperbacks sitting right here that I haven't gotten <laughs> to yet, and even more stuff on my iPad because you know all the Kickstarters we've had on I've supported, and they've all sent me PDFs. You know all the all the recommendations I've gotten from people. I try to go out and download the digital versions if I can't find the hardcover, and you know all that stuff just sort of piles up. But you know, some, sometimes something will be interesting to me, and I'll want to go out and find it specifically. So that's why I listen to those old episodes and go searching for it. I am so jealous. See, now I'm damn it. I, I think this whole all right. This is funny. Now on the one episode, the last time I interviewed a podcaster, which was uh, Chris Revel from Let's Chat with Revel and Friends. I mean, that one was like this weird level of admiration because it's like, oh, cool, we're into a lot of the same stuff. I feel like with us, it's going to be like this weird level of envy where it's like, okay, not only did you get to interview some pretty awesome people who we'll get to later on, um, you also have a boss who not only minds that you read comic books, but is a comic book fan themselves. What is that like? Where do I get this job? How do I meet this person? Well, I started with this company eight years ago. Um, It's, I don't really want to say the company name because I don't you know, I, I worked for the same team for that whole entire time. Initially, it was six people, and then it became five, and then it became four, and then it became three. So there's three of us now, and we're not busy. I mean, we're like the upper-level tech support. So whenever there's a real, real problem, we get called, and we have to jump into action, and it's, it's a lot of work. But most of the rest of the time, there's downtime. And on top of that, we, we have a cell phone that we carry, and every third week, one of us has to carry it. And we get a lot of after-hours calls, like 1 to 2 a.m., the UK will call us. Oh, wow. So we get a lot of that, and you know, we're, we're busier after hours than we ever are during the day. So during the day, we get a lot of time to work on the show. We get a lot of time to work on our comics. We get a lot of time to just sit around and talk. And <laughs> honestly, the hardest part about it is that I work with my co-host. So we talk probably 25, 30 hours a week just about random shit in the office, and then we come home and we have to record a show. We try not to rehash anything. So uh, Miguel and I have such a fun time, and we're we're so – compatible as friends that we, we never run out of stuff to talk about and it's just it's great i couldn't imagine doing the show with anybody other than him that's pretty that's pretty awesome and that's the one thing i love about comical podcast is not even necessarily the books that you read and again i do appreciate the recommendations because you guys are into some stuff that i never would have like really picked up otherwise it's really the chemistry you guys have that makes it so much fun because there's obvious in jokes but you start kind of getting into it, and especially when you shotgun a couple episodes, it's, I swear to you, I was just recently down this morning, well, the morning that I, uh, I'm recording this, listened to your anniversary show, and I don't know, oh, it was the whole bit where you guys kept getting into laughing fits about the, uh, the artist's names on the books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I felt bad, because I'm sure these guys are listening to the show going, what the fuck that just happened? Like, that's not my name, but it was just so fucking funny. Well, it's because uh, we were talking about you, on our show the the format of the show, which I guess we should tell your listeners so they kind of understand, is we right. start talking about what our top two books were for the week, and he picks two, and I pick two, and then we have a pick of the week, which is a book we just want to highlight for whatever reason. If it's a new book, or if it's just one that we particularly enjoyed but wasn't quite, you know, analytically one of the best books, um, we'll do that. And then after that, we we do a segment called "Tell Me a Funny Story." Where we tell funny stories back and forth, and then. We have guests on, we do interviews, and we talk about movies, comic TV news, just kind of all the same 
same format every time, but it's, we, we try to make it interesting and spice it up a lot. And with the reviews, uh, we were talking about a book that had been drawn by somebody named uh, Michael Simon or <laughs> But yeah, that, that was it. Miguel Steeman. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, I was talking about a book that was uh, drawn by somebody named Shiti, like S-H-C-I-T-I. <laughs> so between Seaman and Shitty, uh, yeah, we were making each other laugh. <laughs> I, and, and, right, I was so embarrassed only because, well, I was driving my work truck at the time. I had just gotten back um, – from getting coffee from Seven Eleven, so I'm riding. I'm trying to like ride to my stop, and of course I had to then clean up coffee off the steering wheel, Colin, because it's just somebody kept making me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't apologize for that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Nor should you. But that's tough, though, because now do you ever have that problem where? All right, I'll put it to you this way. Um, I actually co-host a, another podcast uh, with my best friend called Ignoring Movies. Um, well, he just recently had a kid so you know it's been a while since we've done a new episode but we have the issue where the day we're about to record we really don't talk to each other much because every time one of us would go start a conversation it get into this really awesome bit and you realize shit we probably should have saved that for the show so even though you guys talk to each other pretty much like nonstop, has there ever been a moment where you pretty much had to deliberately keep from interacting just so that way you didn't have anything you know no, I mean, we don't ever like stop talking to each other so we can save content, but there has been times where we said jokes that were so funny that we reset them on the show and pretended like they were the first time we had been said. See, at that point, I'm just wondering, get really small microphones just clipped into yourselves, so that way then you could just record the conversations throughout the day as bonus content? Oh, man, if, if we recorded the stuff that went on at the office, it would be, <laughs> we could have a bonus episode every month. <laughs> I actually wouldn't mind that because I, I think that's one of the one things that I love about your show. And I think you recently had one where it was kind of like a sort of like a best of like outtakes. Yeah, that was actually a bonus episode that we did for people that supported us via our sponsors. Uh, we initially had Audible as a sponsor when we started the show. And then not so long after that, we picked up Tweaked Audio. Uh, it's a headphone company. They make great headphones. Um, and for the people that supported us via those means or or – you know, by buying shirts, we had a couple guys that like sent us shirts that they had designed for us. And uh, Chris Ryder, who's one of our biggest supporters, he's he actually draws a comic strip based on the characters Miguel has created uh, on the show. Uh, all those people that helped us out initially, we wanted to give something back. So we had all these bloopers, all this like extra stuff that I had edited out of the shows because it was too raunchy or too, you know, vulgar or just you know made us look like complete fools in the early episodes. And I just sort of saved those clips. So then when July rolled around and I wanted to give something back to everybody, I started compiling them all into a bonus episode. And then I had Miguel and Heather come in and we just sort of sat here and laughed at them all and recorded our little thoughts on, on the clips I was playing, put it all into one bonus episode and sent it out. And then six months later, towards the end of the year, uh, just to say thank you for everybody who had gone out and supported us at all by listening or by telling other people about it or by going to iTunes uh, and giving us reviews or whatnot. I went ahead and released it to the general public. And we're planning on doing the same thing. We're, we don't have as many blooper clips this time, uh, but we are going to record another bonus episode for our supporters uh, sometime probably later this month or early March. Awesome. So It's, it's kind of hard to do the bonus episodes. I mean, it takes a little, lot more prep work than you know the typical episode, but I think it's totally worth it. And some of them come out just insanely funny. The, the, the blooper episode, I still listen to that occasionally, and it still cracks me up. I mean, have you listened to it? 
Yeah, that oh god, that one was really really good. And, was, and at that point, I was really upset that I didn't realize that it was a uh, it was supporter based. Like shit, I would have jumped on that bandwagon early on. <laughs> well, you, there's still time. I mean, you can get in on the the March one by supporting us somehow. <laughs> yes, I will be doing that post haste. Awesome. So let's go into the way back machine a little bit, because uh, I'm always interested talking to other geeks or fellow nerds, whatever you identify yourself as, trying to figure out where your life went wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but All right, so who was the first person to put the comic in your hand? Who gave this to you and said, here, this is the path you're going to be set on? You know, I really don't remember. I'm pretty sure I did it to myself. <laughs> uh, I used to go, I used to be a Magic the Gathering player when I was a little kid. I mean, when the game first came out, I was really into that game. And I had friends that were in middle school and stuff. And, and we would go to the mall because that was really the only place where I lived that sold the cards. So my mom would take us and, and we'd have time to go around and, you know, go to the toy store and buy cards or wander around and look at stuff. And there was a comic shop in the mall. And I remember they used to have a spinner rack on the outside, like the walkway. And it was just full of junk comics. But it was like three for a dollar or something. And I always thought that was a great deal. So... I remember buying tons and tons of those junk books. I mean, I have so many Magnus Robot Fighters and Predator comic books. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, seen it in a box in my closet from that era. But I also picked up stuff like X-Force and New Mutants and uh, X-Men. And that's really where I got my start. So I know exactly where that era is. And, you know, I feel your pain because, yeah, looking back, wow, a lot of those comics weren't great. But they were to us as kids. I mean, X oh. X yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I read Wolverine, and, I, and once I got into comics, my mom started actually driving me to the comic shop, and I would go in and buy, you know, four or five comics, whatever I could afford with my grass cutting allowance. And, <laughs> you know, I, I would pick up Wolverine, I would pick up uh, X Force. My favorite character back then, and still, is Deadpool. Uh, one of the first issues I picked up was X Force number one, and then X Force number two, where Deadpool made his second debut, and I just fell in love with the character. And I think between Wolverine and Deadpool, that is why I am a comic book fan. Oh, that awesome early '90s. Well, what a you know what? I don't care what anybody says, and I, I'm sure you've seen it too. There seems to be like this really weird backlash with early '90s comics, and maybe it's because it seems like we both kind of grew up in that era. So, like, I really don't understand why all of a sudden there's such a hate for it. Where, yeah, it's a little overblown, it's a little ridiculous, but you know what? It's amazing. Half that stuff is still around, so it couldn't have been that terrible. You know, I I think that. <laughs> I think we're about to enter some sort of period where we kind of go back to the format that was used in a lot of those 90 comics. I mean, not with Image, obviously. Image is pushing its way forward into the future. But I think Marvel, at least Marvel specifically, uh, may, may have kind of a renaissance and go back a little bit. Because they've done so many convoluted stories over the last five or six years where there's time travel and there's jumping to other dimensions. And it's gotten really confusing and really hard to keep track of who's where in the Marvel Universe. Even read, it really has. Even reading 20 books a week like I do, sometimes you still don't really know where everybody is. Uh, and back in the 90s, it was so simple. There was this team and this team and this team, and they were doing their own thing, and sometimes they would interact, but there was really no major crossovers. There was really never any you know, dimension jumping. There was no ultimate universe to get you even more confused. There was no you – know, it was so simple. And I think with uh, – the Secret Wars event that's coming, Marvel's trying to get back to that and go back to a simpler time where there was like two X-Men books instead of 13. <laughs> well, it's going to be 14 because, well, and it's sad because it really didn't even have to be that way. Around the time, I would say, when all new X-Men happened, I, I realized 
things were kind of getting a little ridiculous. Where it's like, alright, well, this current era is like, things are getting bad. So yeah, let's just now transport the original five X-Men from the past into the present, which... Uh, time. I actually think we talked about this briefly on um, Twitter um, via direct message, just talking about you know just time travel in general. It's just it's never a good time when it comes to comic books, especially when it comes to the X Men, yep. who are already convoluted to begin with. I will say with all new X Men though, um, I'm, I'm a fan of Silver Age X Men. X Men is honestly my favorite like major property in comics. So I'm I'm working on collecting the whole first series of the 1963 X Men, and I've got like 50 books already towards that. Uh, but X-Men number 15, which is the origin story of Beast, is the comic that they drew for for all new X-Men number one. And when the characters got sucked out of that 1963 timeline and brought into the future, every single panel in all new X-Men number one was the exact same as it was in X-Men number 15 from back then. And I thought really? that was so cool. Yeah, it, it, like as a fan of that particular issue, I loved how everything was exactly the same. <laughs> So Marvel does do some cool stuff. I mean, all new X-Men was a good idea in theory. I just think it should have ended way sooner than it did. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's kind of the point of the I, I feel like that in a way this is them rectifying that with the Black Vortex. Possibly. Um I, I would be happy if it ended with Black Vortex and didn't make it all the way to Secret Wars, but uh, you know, sometime within the next year I expect it to be over. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of storylines right now that while they're not outright saying it, they clearly seem to be working towards an end. Mm-hmm. Especially with, you know, the Avengers, Jonathan Hickman stuff, which, I mean, you know, he's doing wonder with that whole giant world, you know, multidimensional storyline. But between things like the Black Vortex and, shoot, what was the other? Uh... Spider-Verse? Yeah, Spider-Verse. It definitely seems like something of a finality to all these things where everything's just sort of coalescing into like this one big... And I guess it ultimately, I know people were really flipping out about this because I'm sure you were on Twitter the day it happened and people went berserk. About people got really irate about it, but I think this might actually, in a way, be the best thing that they could have done. Actually, I wasn't on Twitter the day it happened. I didn't find out about it until two days later because I was so exhausted from being up editing the show because that was the week we had all the audio problems. <laughs> oh, so you spared yourself the... Uh... The verbal outrage. It got ugly. I'm sure it did. It doesn't surprise me. Twitter's always an ugly place. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I really don't have a problem with it. I, th- I you know, I love the original Secret War storyline, and they've done a lot of cool things recently leading up to it. I mean, you can kind of see where certain things are going, and once you kind of realize what all the battlegrounds are going to be, you can kind of figure out what uh, pieces of history they're going to draw and put into that world. So I'm kind of excited to see what they do with it and see how it all clashes. And I have a lot of faith in Hickman. I mean, I'm a big fan of his writing, and he's really, oh, me too. really good at the long game and planning out these stories that take forever to get there, but when they get to the payoff, they really pay off. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for Secret Wars. I'm, I mean, the worst thing that happens is the Ultimate Universe goes away, and it's not really a full reboot, but there's no more time travel and there's no more dimension hopping. Like, <laughs> as long as that happens, I'll be way happy with Marvel. Yeah, and the Ultimate Universe has ended and rebooted so many times within like the last 10 years, so you know what? That really doesn't bother me as such, but considering there's so many great things going on at Marvel, I'd hate to think that it all would just suddenly end. Well, see, that's the thing. I don't think it's going to end. They, um, what's the guy who's in charge there? Not Quesada, but the other guy. Actually, Axel. Oh, Alex Axel? Yeah, Axel Alonso came out and said that Secret Wars was not going to be a precursor to a reboot of the Marvel Universe. They have no intention of rebooting all the franchises. They're going to reboot the setting 
in that there's not going to be multiple universes. There's going to be one universe. There's no Earth 616. There's no other dimensions. It's all just one place, which they're calling Battle World. And then the character histories are all going to stay intact. So everything you know about Spider-Man, including the Superior storyline, is going to stay true to what you know right. Peter Parker now. Uh, but you know the, the locations are going to be different because it's going to be one new world that hasn't been explored yet. So it's not a, a true reboot, at least. I, I feel like, I don't know, and this is sort of the interesting thing, because at this point, knowing that, is it now their responsibility to properly explain that, or is it now our responsibility to not sort of overreact? Because the one thing you missed when, you know, you said the two days you were off of Twitter were everybody was saying, well, this is going to be like the new 52, and everybody's worried that all the titles are all going to get rewritten, and I'm like, whoa, hold on. No one's saying that, but at the same time, that initial press release was probably some of the most jumbled announcements I've ever really heard a large company ever make. Like, I feel like almost they didn't even know all the information when they were about to make it, where now, still, having clarified everything, now it seems to make sense. The information. I still think they're trying to, to figure it all out because the, the scope of the story is so big, and there's so many different worlds that are being drawn in. They're still trying to figure out everything, I think. I don't think they have it all mapped out entirely yet. Which I think ultimately might hurt them because from how you explained it, it seems far less confusing than it felt at least early on because I'm really like, wait a minute, hold on, there's all these books happening. I don't want any of this shit to end. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there may be a bunch of new number one titles, but you know, that's just something you kind of have to expect with the big two these days. I mean, it's 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 kind of crappy that you can't just have an ongoing series and, and let it go until 200 issues. But at the same time, you know, we've, we've kind of allowed them to do that because, I mean, look at a title like Secret Avengers that's rebooted four times in the last two years. Yeah, and in a way, I understand what they were trying to do because it was explained to me as they were trying to sort of tell stories like in terms of like arcs. And then once the arc was over, it'd almost be like a seasonal format where then it would just rechange its numbering. But then I'm like, well, if you have five number ones, I'm like, how is this going to help anybody? Because the outside reader is still going to be confused. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think this is an event for people like me that are heavily invested in what's already been going on for the last two years. And it's going to make a lot more sense to somebody like me than it ever will to a newcomer. Um, it may hurt their bottom line. It may be a really bad business move. But at least they're willing to like take a chance and try something new. Yeah, you can't really fault them for that. And while thankfully we're in an era where you know indie publishers, or at least smaller press, even if they're not completely indie, have had a, a lot of at least critical success in terms of how they conduct their business, how people view their properties. But in a way, you know, the big guys, and while they have an advantage in terms of distribution and, I guess, outreach, they still have a difficulty in terms of telling cohesive storylines because there are so many moving parts. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot going for them. I mean, they got brand recognition from the movies. You know, they've got commercials. they got cartoons on TV. People are going to read comics no matter what. I mean, kids are always going to be interested in checking it out because – you know, they grew up watching cartoons about superheroes, so they want to go and read the comics and then get more into the superheroes. I think that Marvel and DC have an advantage over the indie guys just because of that, because of the exposure. I mean, everybody in the world knows who Batman is. Not everybody in the world knows, you know, about Saga, right? <laughs> Which is a shame. 
Which is a shame because honestly, Image is the putting out the highest quality content of any uh. any publisher, and Boom is right behind them. Boom is putting out some amazing books. I'm really excited for them this year. And I feel bad because I mean, we'll don't get don't get me wrong. We'll get back to Image. I hadn't really paid much attention to Boom until um, a lot of like I guess Claudia Sanchez uh, from Coed and Cambria. Uh, for those of you who may not know, I know a lot of his books have uh, been distributed through Boom. Um, I know like Kill Audio and um, Key of Z and stuff like that. And they're a publisher. I didn't really pay attention to them much. Um, what would you recommend from Boom? Anything uh, worth noting? Uh, I'm really a big fan of The Woods, which is going on right now. That's um, James Tenney and the Fourth Story. It's about uh, a high school that gets transported to this forest, these woods, and they realize they're on an alien planet. And it, it kind of follows what a group of the kids do because they don't want to sit in the gym and wait to die while the alien creatures attack them. So they start going exploring and they find more humans on this planet. And there's this big mystery behind why they got brought to this planet and what's going on. Uh, and at the same time, you're still looking at the school where the, the teachers and staff are trying to keep the kids in line and trying not to cause panic. Everybody's rationing their food supplies and it's just this big, interesting story. Um, that one's really good. I also like Dead Letters, which is the story of this hitman who wakes up in a hotel room, gets a phone call, and is told, you have 15 seconds to get your gun and and get out the back door. He gets his gun, but he doesn't get out the back door. And he has this big knockdown, drag-out fight with these two guys. Turns out he's in purgatory. and uh, Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, and he's living there with, um, you know, heaven and hell. And nobody in purgatory can actually die unless they're killed by an angelic weapon. So that story is all about him playing heaven and hell against each other and a playing the the gangs in purgatory against each other to try to help himself get out of this situation that he's in. And it's it's a really good story. It's Christopher Sabella and Chris Visions. Uh, that's probably the best boom title that's coming out right now. I really, really like that one. I really recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I felt bad because for a lot of times I would check boom, and it would – not that it's necessarily a bad thing. I feel like I'm talking crap about them, but – I know they were doing something with, like, I think, like, the Muppets or Fraggle Rock, and I'm like, no, nah, this doesn't seem like it's for me. I didn't realize they were releasing books like that. That's pretty awesome. Well, even their their licensed properties are pretty good. They're putting out uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, shit, that is Boom. Damn it. All right, never mind. I, I, I retract my statement. Which is, I totally forgot that was Boom Studios. Uh, they released uh, Galaxy Quest miniseries that, that just started. I don't know if you watched Galaxy Quest, that old movie with Tim Allen. Oh, Tim Allen and um, Alan Rickman? Oh, it's one of my favorite movies. Still pissed there's no sequel, but whatever. The the comics are basically a sequel to the movie, and you know, I read the first issue, which came out three weeks ago. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it really feels just like it took. It starts where, exactly where the movie left off, and I really enjoy it. I mean, if you're a fan of that series, I'd recommend checking that out, too. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Yeah. Right now, it just seems like right now Image seems to be the publisher to beat because... Oh, definitely. I mean, there's... I don't know how that happened because early on, going back to early 90s comics, Image to me, like, it's there was no publisher that was as blatantly 90s as Image Comics was back in the day. But yeah, I mean, I guess for some that was like this sort of weird heyday. But for me, like, I don't know what happened or who happened, but... Well, back they've really just been cranking out some of like the greatest stuff lately, and I just I, I don't understand how it happened. Back in the '90s, they were trying to play Marvel and DC's game. They were trying to come up with superhero comics, and that's all they wanted to do: either superhero teams or standalone superheroes, or maybe darker and edgier like antiheroes. But all they wanted to do was create those kinds of comic stories that people were used to reading. I mean, you had the Max, you had Young Blood, you had uh, Spawn, of course. 
Um, and all those stories they were putting out were just like subpar versions of the Marvel and DC characters. You know, there wasn't really truly that many original stories that Image was coming up with, or that many original characters at least. Rob Life yeah. just like, here's a Deadpool clone, here's a Deadpool clone. <laughs> and, you know, here here's a Deadpool clone, more pouches. Yeah, exactly. But somewhere along the way, Image, I don't, I don't know if it, who it was in the company, decided to go a different route and try something new. And they started recruiting writers that were wanting to tell their own stories that weren't restricted by you know, conventional comic storylines or methods. And you know, now almost every story that comes out of Image has nothing at all to do with having superpowers. You know, there's there's a few, and the ones that they do put out are usually really clever twists on old tropes. But most of the stories that Image puts out are like dark and gritty crime dramas, or or epic space sagas, or you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragon fantasy romps with uh, badass women. You know, the, like the the sky's the limit. You can really think of anything you want and put it out on Image, and as long as it's a great story, they'll put it out. And I think they've done an amazing job selecting what books to to put on with their label because I swear I read, I said I read 25 to 35 books a week. 70% of those are image books, <laughs> which I'm going to start getting on this, uh, hopping on this train because I'm a little late bloomer. But again, my former co-host, he was a huge champion of a lot of images stuff. And within like, I guess the last year or two, that's really sort of how I started. And well, the one book we were saying we were going to talk about one of my favorite image books right now is velvet. Holy shit. Velvet's really good. Um, it's 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 probably not my it's not in my in my top five image books. You know that 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 speaks to the quality of image, but it is. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like that's it's a really great book, but it's not even one of your top five. Wow. Yeah, I mean Brubaker is amazing, and he's great at telling spy stories. And Velvet is an amazing spy story about this badass girl who gets wronged by the people she works for, and you know she goes on this path for revenge, but she's also trying to figure out exactly what happened. And it's it's excellent. It's just excellent. And and Brubaker's an amazing writer. And I don't remember who the artist is, but he's really good too. Was it um, Epting? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but uh, you know, if if if, if you're a fan of uh, badass heroines and uh, you like spy stories, Velvet's going to be the book for you for sure. <laughs> yeah, I went back, and it's funny because I know we were going to talk about it, and I went back and reread it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't remember this being as good as it I remember. So, of course, I was reading, like, the first trade, flipping through. And next thing you know, like, hours are going past. I'm reading each issue. And I'm like, damn it, I'm not going to bed anytime soon, am I? Like, I'm completely just sucked into this world. I'm like, freaking Brubaker and his spy novels and stories. I just completely just fell down this rabbit hole of awesomeness. He's a master at the spy genre, too. And, you know, he's not the only one that's at Image. I mean, Alish Cott, have you read Zero? No, um, actually, I'm just now sort of an early uh, doctor of Alex Cott. I did actually really enjoy and I know no one did, though. I appreciate what he was trying to do, because I think he had worked on, was it Secret Avengers? Yeah, he, he had a really interesting take on a lot of characters in Secret Avengers. Yeah, it was definitely, maybe the characters he was doing it with weren't like best suited for it, but I kind of liked where he was going with it. Same thing with his Iron Patriot, which, I mean, that book, unfortunately, was dead in the water before it even kind of went anywhere but again he's actually really cool at that so i definitely need to read more of his creator own stuff zero is probably his best book honestly uh there is there's kind of weird stuff that happens in zero like the first trade is is mind-blowing you'll read the first trade and you'll be like holy crap i gotta get more of this i need it i need it i need it right now <laughs> and you'll read the second one and it's a little bit more subtle and a little bit weird 
but he's building up to what happens at the beginning of the third arc, and the third arc has just been like brutal and just in your face from the beginning. Uh, he really has a lot of diverse abilities as a writer, and a lot of the time he writes about political kind of stuff, and he, he, has, a, he has a lot of uh, statements he wants to make in his writing, which you kind of see more of in the superhero books, I think. Uh, but Zero, it's all about a spy who um, he's raised from birth to be a super spy, basically. And he's given a best friend, and it's a female, and they grow up together. And then one day he's forced to like get rid of her. And the agency he works for is playing both sides in this uh, spy war he's involved in. And there's all kinds of like supernatural elements that are starting to appear that they haven't really explained yet. And you know, sometimes there's just crazy stuff that goes on. Like there's two issues that just came out, his last two issues, where he has a fist fight with a group of armed men that are breaking into the facility where he goes to report to his handlers. All right. And it's like all these armed guys versus him, and he has no no weapons of any kind. And he manages to take out like an entire elevator full of guys. It's like the scene from Captain America. Sold. <laughs> and then there's not a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, it's it's all action, but it looks like you're watching a really brutal, really intense action scene from a movie. And I mean, it just, it, it's incredible. Anytime a, a book makes me feel like that, I'm just like, wow, I gotta, I gotta tout this a little bit to people. <laughs> I just love the fact that I guess we really are in this renaissance where we could finally start telling some of these stories and comics really aren't just about superheroes. And don't get me wrong. I love my superheroes, but me too. It's, we're finally starting to move a little bit past that. And I just kind of wonder, though, is there ever going like, to, I always kind of just get worried if there's ever going to come a point where it's just all going to start, you know, coming back the other way, where that stops at all. And I don't know, maybe I'm just doomsaying, but. I don't think so. At this point, I really don't, because Image has proven that people want to read quality stories. I mean, it's it's like a serialized novel, basically. I mean, if you take a really good book and you break it up into little pieces and you get a little bit at a time. That's that's basically what image co- each image comic is. I mean, they all tell one big overarching story that's broken up into little arcs, but they're always just incredible. I mean, I've only read two image titles that I read two or three issues of, and I was like, eh, this just isn't for me, and I put it down. But I mean, I read like forty-seven titles now, <laughs> and and I'm not. <laughs> all great. I just. Wow, I I called myself. It, there was a time where I was literally just dropping nearly 200 books on comics a week, and I, unfortunately, I had since had to stop that. But wow, talk about like the worst habit that doesn't involve drug use. <laughs> it's it's true, it's an addiction all of its own. <laughs> it's just, but it was just to be nice, you know. Those days you get like a stack of comics, you know. You kind of like I shouldn't say lock yourself in a room because that that it really sounds like it's drugs, but like you know what I mean. You kind of just set aside time, just really just dive into all these things, but. I guess these days it's definitely more about the trade paperbacks only because now these single issues have come back to haunt me where they're kind of like socks where, you know, you lose one, then you find it later, but you can't find the other issue. We've had a lot of indie writers on the show and we've talked about trade paperbacks quite a bit because trade paperbacks help them a lot uh, as as far as money goes, uh, but it doesn't really help them keep their book alive. Um and a lot of the indie guys are let – me, let me phrase this right. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the indie guys' success is dependent on how many books they sell each week that they're released. 
like image if their sales are so low the image can't say you know you guys are doing a good enough job we can keep publishing you then they'll get canceled and that's happened to a few series that i really like they they've fallen off because the sales just weren't there and i talked to people and they're like oh i love that series but i read it in trade and you know talking to the creators that i've talked to it's it's great that you're supporting the book and that you want to read it uh, by picking up the trade but the single best way to help keep the books that you want to support alive is by bu- buying the single issues. That is tough because on the other side of that where reading it from month to month or I guess, yeah, it's usually just month to month. I mean, a few are released bi-weekly, what have you, but it is a little bit tougher, but I mean, don't wow, not, talk about being so, sort of stuck in a bit of a pickle there. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a trade buyer too, and if a series has already been out for – you know, 10 issues and I haven't read it yet and people keep telling me it's good, it's good. Like Manifest Destiny, that's that's one for example. Uh, I didn't pick it up, I didn't get on when it came out and uh, the premise just didn't sound like something I would be interested in and people kept saying how good it was. So when the first trade came out, I did pick that up and I was like, okay, yeah, this is really good and then I started buying the single issues. Uh, there's there's a few series that started with and there's a lot of Marvel series that I'll buy the trade for but Image, I almost always buy them because the single issues of Image are almost always $3.00 Versus the four at Marvel. That's definitely the other side of that is, well, the price point where I was buying a lot of Marvel books. I mean, I'm just a Marvel guy by trade. Me too. You know, between that. So I was, of course, dropping all this money. Then I realized I'm looking at the price for the books and I'm like, I don't ever remember buying, you know, paying this much for a book. But I'm normally not even looking, paying attention. It's like, well, I just want the next Iron Man or whomever. I'm not looking to see how much it is. But then I'm looking down, it's like $4, $5. I'm like, holy shit. I have a I have a secret tip for you. <laughs> What's that? So I, I buy a lot of Marvel books. I mean, you look at my stack. I said it was probably seventy percent image. It's probably twenty five percent. Let's be real, twenty nine percent Marvel, one percent <laughs> DC. And those DC books are usually like He Man and the Eternity War. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of of DC's superhero characters aside from Batman. Um, but with the Marvel books, they all come with a free digital code now, which is something that a lot of people don't want and don't even bother to use. I mean, you only put so many of those things on a device anyways before you run out of space. But there's a huge market for them online. So whenever a a Marvel book I'm going to purchase for $4 comes out, I'll buy it. I'll write down the codes, and then I sell them on eBay. Uh, I sell them for anywhere from $1.85 to $2.25 the first day the book comes out. And then eBay takes like $0.40 off of that, and I recoup whatever the rest of the code was. So I'm paying $4, but I'm getting like $1.40 back on each one makes it a lot more affordable to buy a Marvel. <laughs> huh. And, like, that's perfectly legit? It is. It's a lot more work. You know, I mean, not everybody has the uh, dedication to doing that, I'm sure, but it does make it a lot more affordable if you want to read Marvel sequentially. Right, because then, um, I guess my other recourse is, yeah, there's always that sort of give and take. Like, there's this one thing that's you know, might be more convenient or less uh, less expensive, but then, unfortunately, like like you said, getting a trade... Versus getting a single issue, but the problem with um, my one store, I guess, well, they're actually going to be closing soon. They didn't really get, I mean, only recently did they get a lot of image, but they overall didn't order a lot of indie books, which was something of a heartbreaker. Because I know anything only pressed, it had to come in, I had to special order. Yeah, and uh, that's a problem that a lot of people have, and I think that's why image has gone to the... uh... I don't even know if you're aware of this, but Image started doing mailers again. Like you can actually subscribe directly from Image, and they'll mail your comics to you. Every I had recently heard about that. That's actually uh, pretty interesting. That 
you know, of publishers actually adopted that model again. Yeah, um, Image is always willing to try interesting things. So uh, I'm a huge fan of that publisher nowadays, and I, I can't see that changing anytime soon. <laughs> I guess this is sort of the new frontier now as far as comic books because not so much the content of the book, but rather, I guess, distribution, trying to figure out the best way to get you know books in people's hands because digital's not going away, but at the same time, it's like, well, how are you going to get people to be aware of these books if they don't already sort of know what's out there? Right, and and not everybody wants to adopt digital. There's plenty of people that want physical copies of their comics, and uh, Image is willing to try things like this, like the mailing. Uh, and a lot, the bad thing is that a lot of stores won't give new books a shot. Like they'll, they won't. They'll stick with and what not knocking them, but they really are that bad with it. Yeah, yeah they stick with what they, they know will sell because they don't want to invest extra money because they basically have to order. Like, let's say they think they're going to sell forty seven copies of uh, Superman, they'll order like fifty five, and they'll give away the forty seven to their subscribers and have eight on the shelf. And if all those don't sell, well, they they lose like what twenty bucks. It's not that yeah. bad for them. If they order 50 image title, 50 of a number one of an image title, and only 12 of them sell, they lose a lot more money, and they don't really know what's going to be successful and what's not. And the general public doesn't know what's going to be successful and what's not, which is why you have breakout success stories like Saga, where it was a small print run of issue one, and everybody that picked it up managed to turn a $3 book into a $100 book overnight. I guess it's also the price. It's really also pricing. That's what kills me. And I get it. People like their physical books. I'm one of those people, too. I like holding a comic. But in the grand scheme of things, for someone who has a compulsive buyer as I am, those books are now just kind of just taking up space. So at this point, I've lately kind of embraced digital because, I'm not going to lie, nine or ten times, especially with the podcast, I'm on my computer. So, shit, why not just start reading them on my computer? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I personally am a multi-format user. Like, there are certain books that I'll read digitally. Uh, we have a lot of people that want to come on the show, a lot of startup uh, writers and artists that put their books on Comixology and stuff. And even if I don't have them on, I'll write little reviews for them and post those on Twitter or Facebook or whatever to try to help them out. And uh, so they send me free copies of their stuff, and it's always digital. And I read almost all of it uh, weekly whenever it comes out. So I have a lot of that stuff on my iPad. All the Kickstarters that I've supported, I have that stuff on my iPad. Um, every once in a while, a series that like, it'll be 2 AM and I'll be talking to somebody online about some book I haven't heard of. And they'll say, Oh, you've got to check it out. And I want to do it right then. So I'll just go ahead and go, <laughs> go buy it and read it at 2 AM on my iPad instead of waiting for next Wednesday to go pick it up at the shop. So, I mean, I do do the digital thing, but when it comes to like Marvel specifically, I like to buy the physical books because I read the physical books. I sell the digital codes and then if I don't like the series, I'll sell the whole series as a run on eBay and recoup some of the money that I invested in it. So, uh, like, I'm, I'm a big eBayer. I always have been. Uh, and, you know, I've, you never know what's going to turn into a, a profitable book or a profitable investment. Like I was just saying before, Saga, especially with the image books, I pretty much buy every number one image puts out because you never really know. <laughs> yeah, and Saga, to me, sort of came out of nowhere because I don't remember there being a lot of buzz for that prior. I mean, none that I had paid attention to. You know, it's funny because Saga was one of the very first indie books I picked up. I was really big into Marvel. I, I was reading Walking Dead. I guess I should take that. I was reading Walking Dead, obviously. but um, Saga was one of the first chances I took on a book. I read the synopsis, and I said, oh, this kind of sounds like Star Wars. I'll, I'll check it out. 
picked it up and I read it in the parking lot. And I was like, wow, this is really good. I called Miguel and I was like, hey, there's this really cool book you should check out. It's only three bucks. You want me to get you a copy? He said, yeah. So I went back in and got one for him. And then, you know, it blew up like a week later. And I was like, that book's like worth 40 bucks. <laughs> Miguel was, <Miguel> was <laughs> flabbergasted. And then, you know, it, you know, it turned into what Saga is now, which is, you know, this multi-award winning masterpiece of a series that, uh, you know, everybody loves and everybody wants to have first editions of. So, I mean, we just got lucky that that happened to be a series that caught my eye. And from that, uh, I became so excited about image books that I just started checking out series after series and I kept falling in love with so many of them. And that's just because so many of them are great. There's really not hardly any that I don't like. I mean, I could tell you straight up what ones I tried that I was not a fan of, but I don't want to be an asshole to (laughs) to those creators. Well, you know what? I'll put it to you this way. I don't think it's saying that you didn't like the book. I don't think that's necessarily being an asshole. I mean, some people aren't just aren't into certain things. And I mean, if you were to come out and say, well, they, they, that book, you know, sucks. And I hope whoever wrote it dies of a heart attack. No, that's being an asshole. <laughs> I don't think that's you. Yeah, I'm not really that kind of guy. I mean, I, there's nothing really offends me. Like somebody writing an anti-religion book or an anti Deadpool comment or, or, you know, anything that would offend some people and cause like the internet trolls to go crazy doesn't bother me. Like I'm not that kind of person, but there are a few image titles that I gave a shot to that I just wasn't a fan of. Like I gave them two or three issues. They didn't impress me and I ended up dropping them. That said, it's, it's like three or four issues, not a whole lot of them. (laughs) I tend to stick with stuff once I give it a shot. Well, that's the thing though. I mean, it should take you well, actually, that's not true. There are some books that I have read almost the whole run and wanted to drop them, but I almost kind of felt like you felt guilty for dropping it. Like, <laughs> if you didn't read it, no one else would. Yeah, you get that obligation feeling. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and that happened way too many times with Marvel books. And um, now, see, I don't even want to talk about it because now I feel like I'm talking garbage. But um, actually, I would say, what is the, um, the what they call the adjectiveless X-Men? Yeah. I loved the that lineup and thankfully well now um g willow wilson is writing ms marvel uh she's doing like i think a four issue arc which i really want to check out but before that i really felt like it was sort of uh mediocre it was mediocre like you know for such a dynamic team like this should be one of the best x-men books out and really there's never been has i don't think there's ever really been an all-female x-men team no there hasn't and I feel the same way. I mean, I read the first three issues of it, and I was just kind of like, okay, this isn't really going anywhere. It's not as important <laughs> in X-Men story. Uh, the X-Men titles that I read are all new and uncanny and amazing. And uh, X-Force, which, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of X-Force when it first came out. Like, I loved the roster, but I, I didn't really like Cy Spurrier's writing for the first three issues. And then it became great. Like, issue four, I started falling for it again, and it just kept getting better and better. So, I, you know, sometimes you got to give those books a chance to prove themselves to you. And then, you know, you might be surprised, but I, I'll agree with you about X-Men. It, it, it was kind of mediocre. So just out of curiosity, do you remember, like, I don't know if you even can recall it so easily, but what was, would you say like the worst book you've ever read? Ooh, that's a, it's a tough question. <laughs> um, Like the worst title overall or like the specific worst comic? Um, whichever. I guess whatever one you feel like was close to being like the one that you just could – the one that probably ruined your day. How about that? All right. Well, 
you know, as an adult, I, I tend not to buy comics that I don't like. Uh, I, I can't really think of one that I've purchased that I was like so disappointed that I spent the money on it or anything. But I can think of one from when I was a kid. Uh, one of those three packs I got. Um, it was uh, called DNA Squared. And I, I read it quite a bit when I was a kid because I only had like a small supply of comics. So I would read them all the time over and over again. And it, I kind of cycled through them. And every time I picked that one up, I was like, ugh, this again. <laughs> I forced myself to read it. I don't know why I forced myself to read it, but I did. And uh, every time I got there, I was just like, oh, this is not good. Why do I read this? <laughs> I really just was was so disappointed with and disgusted with that uh, <laughs> that I kept reading. I don't know if you remember back, this was, I want to say, mid-90s, um, X-Factor number 100, which was the uh, the death of multiple man. Okay, yeah, I do vaguely remember that. <laughs> I now, looking back, I'm like, now like I realize I ranked that amongst like one of my like most hated books because I'm thinking to myself they're making such a big deal that multiple man's dead, but then like in like the same issue like the next issue one of his dupes is running around so I'm like, how are you upset that this man dies when he's got bajillions of himself running around? <laughs> People always find a way to get mad about stuff, and I'm just not that guy. Like you can do whatever you. I mean, when uh, Peter Parker became Doc Ock. Half the world was outraged, and I was just sitting there saying, hey, let's give it a chance. You never know. It might be good. And then Superior was such an amazing run. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always giving, willing to give books and creators a chance to do something off the beaten path, to try something new that other people wouldn't expect or you know, that they're catching a lot of flack for because the general public wants things to stay the same. It wasn't necessarily well. I kind of go back and forth with Dan Slott. Some Spider-Man books are really good. Some others I don't particularly care for. The Superior concept actually was an interesting one, but it's funny. I liked Superior Spider-Man in other books that he appeared in, as opposed to the main title. Like I thought he was great in Mighty Avengers. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. anytime you have a Spider-Man like who's threatening children and threatening you know to blow up. Um, his former friends, you know, I, I got a roof for that guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker has always been such a, a nice guy and so pure and, you know, I mean, he cracks jokes and stuff, but he was never like harsh towards people and just seeing Doc Ock be like a com- straight up asshole to people. Uh, no jokes, all business. He knew he was better than everybody. Like, I just loved that mentality because it was so different than what anybody had tried before. And, you know, I, I can see what you're saying. A lot of his uh, guest appearances on other books were better than the main series. But there was some really cool stuff that happened in the main series, too. Yeah, I really kind of wish that the character had stuck around, even if it weren't necessarily Peter Parker. But I just kind of wanted that dynamic somewhere and just for it to stick around. I, I was I was really disappointed that it ended so soon. Like, another year of it would have been awesome, I think. Um, but, you know, at least he's kind of back for Spider-Verse for a little while. Yeah, but at the same time, I guess I'm glad it ended on a high note and didn't drag on to the point where it got tiresome. Yeah, that's true, too. So, well, before we head out, though, um, so what's actually what's next for a comical podcast? Um, any other cool things coming up that you can maybe tease or any guests you're thinking about having on? Uh, well, you know, we try to book guests as we have openings. And, you know, we get a lot of requests pretty much every week from... Uh, smaller guys wanting to come on to promote their Kickstarters or or whatnot, and there's just not enough 
recording sessions in a, in a month to to, <laughs> to make everybody uh, have a spot. So it's kind of hard. I don't I don't say no to people, but I say just not this month, maybe next month, and I kind of have to move stuff around. Um, the only people we have booked so far for the rest of the month, uh, we have Tom Roche, who's a guy who has a book that's being published by USA Today. There's like an issue that comes out every Sunday in USA Today, I believe. Oh, awesome. Like, it's coming in uh, towards the end of the month. Uh, the first week in March, we're having T- Taylor Esposito on. Um, I'm in talks with a couple other people who I can't really say who they are yet, but they're going to be some of our biggest Marvel guests so far. Um, and I'm really excited about them. I, I just don't want to say yes that they're coming on until I have, you know, for sure confirmation that it's going to work out. Oh, are you sure you don't want to get so excited about it that you just tell everybody that it doesn't happen? Because, well... <laughs> <laughs> David, give me the exclusive. I need the leads. I need the Glengarry leads. You gotta help me out. <laughs> Coffee's for closers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, we're just gonna keep doing what we've been doing. I mean, we we're planning on hitting Comic Palooza in May. Uh, we'd like to go somewhere bigger in October. We're talking about trying to go to New York or trying to go to uh, Florida WonderCon uh, or is it Mega Florida MegaCon. Sorry, getting them backwards. Um, if if we can afford it, you know, Miguel has a lot more responsibility than I do. I mean, he's we're both married, but he has like four kids that aren't his, and uh, he, he's got a whole family that he has to take care of, and he's constantly busy with that, and they all have sports, and his his life is just a lot more hectic than mine is, so I don't know for sure if we're going to make it to the bigger cons or not, but we want to. Uh, well, gonna... if you ever end up in New York, though, um, definitely hit me up, because well, I'm like a stone's throw away here in uh, lovely old New Jersey, insert eye roll here. <laughs> well, we've, we've actually gotten a lot of invitations to... Uh, to come and see people when we go up there. I think if we ever make it to New York, New Jersey area, uh, we're not going to have time to do anything we want to do because we're just going to be driving around seeing all our friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Just tell me where you're going to be. I'll literally just randomly show up. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's some like some fat guy in a Spider-Man shirt here. Do you know him? He says Probably. his name was Adrian. It's like, I don't know him. Hurry up. Get in the car. Go. No, no, not, nothing like that. <laughs> it's going to be like the comic book version of Cape Fear. <laughs> Oh, that's just that's not frightening at all. You had actually teased um, a while ago another podcast you're going to be working on. Uh, hopefully within the next few weeks I'll be able to announce it for real and put everything up there. But uh, I've got a guy working on my logo for me, so I can't really do anything until I at least have that. But, yeah, comical. Um, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. I mean, just uh, we, we got put on the Nerdbong Network. Oh, uh, congratulations. Yeah, we just joined up with them. Uh, we also got picked up by the Wicked Radio Network, and we're in talks with the uh, Renegade Radio Network for uh, getting play on like uh, satellite radio. So, pretty yes. excited. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's we're 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 doing things bigger this year. We're we're planning on getting more guests on, trying to hit more cons, trying to do more interviews. Uh, Miguel's said he's going to be nicer to people. Uh, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but we'll see. <laughs> no, but see, the thing is, if he's nicer to people, it's it's going to kill the flow. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, he says he's going to be nicer to people, but I, I've known him long enough to know that there's no way he can actually keep it in. I was going to say, people, like, I, I'd be really heartbroken if all of a sudden Lord Horstocles all of a sudden started treating people a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be exactly what you expect. Okay, I, okay, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm not going to let you go yet. I don't know if anyone else knows because people are going to be like, what the hell's a Lord Horstocles? You have to kind of at least just tell a little bit of that story before you go, just for everybody else, because I'm sure they're wondering what the hell I just said. Okay, so Lord Horsicles is a persona that Miguel has adopted. Uh, it started back way early in the show, like episode five or so. And I was telling the story about how Miguel walks down the stairs. 
because uh, we had left the office to go get our comics, and I had just happened to go in front of him. I turned around and looked back at him. He was walking down the stairs, taking these like ridiculously weird looking steps. Like he sticks a leg out and then like kind of plops down on the ground and then drags his other leg down and then takes another big horse. Like I called him horse steps because that's what it looked like. <laughs> and I, I started nicknaming him, nicknaming him horse steps. And so he wasn't going to let me pick on him for that. So he tried to embrace it. And he started the next show by calling himself Horstocles, and then it became Lord Horstocles. And then we decided Horstocles had brothers like Horstocles, who's like a really sleazy porn producer. Horstocles, who's like a gay horse. <laughs> Horstofreeze, who's like a, a, a horse guy who's obsessed with Mr. Freeze from Batman. Uh, you know, just anything that you can rhyme with it, we've, we've kind of made it happen. Like Miguel sneezed on one time on the show, and I was like, damn, that's a horse to sneeze. Like, it's just an ongoing kind of joke. And, you know, from Horstocles... Uh, we, he started calling all of our listeners his minions because he was trying to make himself seem important. It was a self-aggrandizing move on his part, but it actually kind of caught on. And uh, as I mentioned before, Chris Ryder, who's like one of our biggest supporters, he draws a comic strip based on the Lord Horsecles character and the minions. And it's actually the Horse Minions comic. It's from the perspective of these subordinates. And it's kind of like um, the Monarch from the Venture Brothers cartoon. Like that's probably <laughs> the best way to explain it. Like Lord Horsecles is really kind of a bumbling. Uh, not really in control of everything that's going on, dictator, and his minions, they do what he says because they know he'll kill him, but at the same time, whenever he's not looking, they're also kind of like, oh, God, the boss wants to watch Twilight again. Like <laughs> <laughs> They're always picking on him. So it's just a really fun uh, aspect of the show and something that's really kind of caught on outside of the show with the comics and, and whatnot. Awesome, man. I, Justin, thank you so much for showing up and hanging out with us and getting weird because I know stupid glitches. <laughs> it's okay, man. I, I knew I was going to have some issues, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun to talk to you, man. So uh, where can the good people on the uh, interwebs find you if they so choose? Well, like I said before, uh, comicalpodcast.com is our website, and you can find us on nerdbong.com or on wickedradio.com. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I am at comicalpodcast. If you want to find Lord Horstocles, he is at comicalpodcast, too. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. You can email us at comicalpodcast at gmail dot com. We have a Tumblr. We have an Instagram. Uh, we're we're everywhere. So if you know, throw a stone, you'll hit one of us. Uh, you know, just just shoot us an email or shoot us a tweet or a Facebook message or whatever. We'd love to talk to you. Sweet man, thanks so much. Yeah, anytime. All right, and that will do it for Adrian has issues. I'm Adrian. I'm Justin, and we will see you next issue. guys how's it going it's adrian again doing a little post credits uh little spiel for you here hopefully you really enjoyed this episode i know i did granted they're all kind of fun it always it'd be weird if i ended every show by saying man i really hated that guest and oh i was terrible but obviously that's not the case it's been a lot of fun but before i go 
I want to let you guys in on some uh, fun stuff that's going on. First off, if you're hearing this for the first time and maybe trying to figure out, hey, I like this Adrian guy. I like the cut of his jib. Where can I actually chat with him online? There's a couple of places where you could do that. There's our main website, which is adrianhasissues.com. That's pretty much where you can access all the episodes. If you so choose, you can stream them on the site. You can download them if you wish onto whatever listening device you have. But I understand this is, you know, 2015, the day of the iPod's a little bit over. You know, a lot of people have smartphones now, which I know, wow, that makes me sound old. A lot of people have these newfangled smartphones. But if you're one of those people that's like, you know what, I don't want to have to download anything. I don't like hard data clogging on my phone. I need, you know, pictures and like, you know, stolen Snapchats and stuff like that. Don't worry, you can go to the Stitcher Radio app, which is available for iOS and Android devices. And probably, I think also Kindle Fire's got some stuff going on with Stitcher. But you can search for Adrian Has Issues there. We're also on the ever-reliable iTunes. Again, search Adrian Has Issues there. I'm also on Twitter, at Adrian Has Issues, and on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues. And before we go, one more thing. I announced it earlier, and you'll actually probably see it on the website page, but we also have a really, really, really awesome comic book giveaway. I'm giving away volume one of the trade paperback for Black Widow, which is the Edmondson Noto run, which is currently going. And even if you're not a big Black Widow fan, I actually recommend this book only because it's fantastic. It really is a really cool spy espionage thriller. And it's a shame that Black Widow hasn't gotten her own movie yet, but at the same time, at least she's getting her due somewhere. So I really hope people checked it out. So check out all the sites I mentioned, check our main website, check Twitter, Facebook, and within at least I would say by next week, I will be giving the details on how you can win yourself a copy of that. I'll throw in some other goodies, not gonna tell you what they are, but just some fun things, just a way of saying, hey, thanks for checking us out. It's been a lot of fun, but I'll let you go because I don't want this to be one of those post credit sequences or a podcast that has eight different endings. So for now, check that stuff out, and uh, we will see you next issue.